Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I'm Ricardo Handy. And I am Lucy Hall. So glad you're with us today. Yeah, on the Hope Village podcast where we deal with all things recovery. Yeah, real excited about today's episode. So let's dive in, Ricarlo. My name is Ricarlo Handy. I'm a filmmaker. I was recently inspired to make a movie about the life of Lucy Hall. I always tell the women my story. I used to smoke crack in the bathroom. Today, if you go to my house, what's in the bathroom is my Bible. Because I had to put something in that place that was greater than what used to be in that place. Her story has inspired thousands of women to get on the path to recovery and change their lives forever. Like I always tell the women in recovery, now you're the disciple that got to go share it. Amen. You're the person who's got to go tell your story. You've got to be an advocate. In this podcast, we will go in depth with Lucy and the recovery community at large. You shouldn't have to get arrested to get well. If the community and the place where you grew up and the place where your family lives isn't going to be about redemption, who is? You are tuned in to the Hope Village podcast. Stay tuned to find out how you can see the movie Hope Village and get Lucy's book, The Complete Guide from Rehab to Recovery. If I can put a Hope Village in every town, we'd be in business. Well, on today's episode, we're doing a a special episode about family. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have some special guests in the studio. Uh, Do you want to introduce Lucy? Absolutely. So I'm excited, Ricardo, because I think it's important that we learn how to have all conversations because we know all things are recovery. And so I've invited two very special people in my life, my son Christian and my daughter Mary, because I wanted to have that conversation about them growing up with a mom in recovery or how they saw recovery from the lens that they looked through. And then what are those conversations we have today? I think recovery afforded me the opportunity to be very candid with my children. I remember one Sunday riding to church with Christian and Mary in the car, and I'll never forget it. I said, hey, do y'all know why your mother loves Jesus? And they said, yes, because he saved you, and you were homeless, and you were on drugs. And they just ran it down to me, and I was like, and they were kids. And I was like, oh, okay, so y'all get it. (laughs) You remember? And and, And they really, you know, told me why they really saw their mother as somebody who was, in love with Jesus because of what he had done for him. And that's really what it's about. It's really conveying that story of why do you have the hope you have today and sharing that hope with others. So I thought it was important because, again, I've met parents who said, you know, I'm really concerned about my daughter. I met somebody this morning in the gym, and she said to me, you know, I'm here because I'm in recovery, if you know what that means. And, of course, as soon as she said it, I went in. But then she wanted to tell me about her daughter, who's 23 years old, who's working as a bartender, and her being a person in recovery is concerned about the road her daughter is on. And she's like, so how do I say it to her? And I said, have you ever shared with her your story? And she's like, well, she watched me go through it. 
watching and talking about it is two different things. Right. And so it's important that you talk to your children about your life story. You'll go tell somebody who don't know you your life story, but does you, do your children know who you are and what you've been through and your redemption story? So mm. I think all things start at home. You know, mm. we won't go save the world, but we haven't even done anything at home. And so I'm excited that I want to have a conversation today with the two most special people in my life, and that is my son, Christian, and my daughter, Mary. So Christian is here with me, Welcome, who Christian. hangs out Hello. with me, and Mary as well is joining us. So I wanted to really talk to them. What was recovery like for you through the lens of your mother? Like you, I remember starting Mary Hall Freedom House when I had Christian. I always tell people the story. Mary is the child I had when I turned my will and my life over. So Mary's 30. And when I started Mary Hall Freedom House was Christian. And so both of my children are very significant to my life and my story. And so, again, I'd love to hear their lens in growing up with a mom who was doing recovery the whole time. And so tell us about your journey. Um, uh, thank you for, you know, I'm happy to be here and be on this podcast. It's so funny that my mom has a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um I think similar to what we talked about, uh, what Mary said, where she didn't feel like she grew up uh, with a mom who was in recovery, I definitely felt that as well. You know, I had the awareness to know recovery is like an all, all never-ending process, which is why I said that, but that's definitely how it felt for me as well. Um, you were always someone who, you know, was up at the crack of dawn, you know, working, you know, a business owner uh, five days a week. No, not five days a week, seven days a week. Uh, going to church all day uh, Sunday and Wednesday so there was never really a time where I was like oh like my mom's in recovery you know what I mean it was always you know this is a fully functioning um, human being which is kind of why this whole project's been a really cool thing to see because only a handful of people get to see a biopic about like their parent or not a biopic mm. just a film about the life of their parent and get to see it uh, that you know black and white like you didn't make that for me you know what I mean like you have to be honest it wasn't for um that so I don't know I I think for me the hard part was because you of your experience obviously I was so you know sheltered you know you wanted to keep that stuff away from me which is what you would want but I was a kid and I wanted to you know go out and try everything because that's what you do when you're a kid so I um, yeah, I think that's was most of my experience was trying to most of my experience. I feel like until I became uh, s somewhat of an adult, I still wouldn't even call myself that. Until I moved out of the house, essentially, it was kind of butting heads over, uh, you know, you being uh, in recovery and me like on a road there in a sense. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so do do you remember the time when I asked you and Mary in the car on the way to church, do you know why your mother loves Jesus like she does? Not specifically, but okay. it seems like a a canon memory for our family. <laughs> okay, but there there is definitely another conversation you and I had that I'd love to talk about a little bit, and that is the one we experienced recently with Parker. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you who don't know, Christian's dear friend growing up in school 
recently overdosed last year in 2019. And so Christian lived in Portland. I was at the airport. My kid calls me and tells me his friend Parker overdosed on July 5th. I'm standing in the airport about to head to Barcelona. And this kid busts out crying, you know, and tells me this story. And of course, I said, well, Christian, I'll get somebody to get you home if you want to come home. So I come home and we go to Parker's memorial. What was really interesting and what still is important for me is, you know, I learned a lot about Christian that weekend. You know, after going to the service and then we go over some of your friend's house for dinner, that was literally the first time I had been around a lot of people that Christian grew up with. But at the same time, I got to observe Christian in a new light. And so I heard Christian say that he smoked weed and he drank. And I was like, what? You know, I'm sitting there at the table and I heard that. And I'm As like, if you didn't know that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. But but it was like, oh, my goodness. So, so, of course, the mom that I am, I go to church the next day and I come home and Christian and Mary always know when I'm serious. So I come and I sit down on the sit side down of the bed. And you're right. Just like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I sat down on the side of the bed and he's like, what, mom, what's the matter? And I asked him, I said, so, Christian, you smoke weed? And 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 I'm concerned. And he's like, why? And so I told him my concern about him smoking weed was because, you know, I'm a person in recovery. His dad was a person in recovery. And, you know, it's in your DNA. So, you know, what are you doing smoking pot? And he says, well, mom, you know, you know, I got the uh, situation in my knees where I have pain and, you know, my anxiety. And, you know, pot helps me with both of those things. And so would you rather me go to a doctor and get pain meds for my knees and get another med for my anxiety and then be all screwed up on pills? Or would you rather I smoke when those things happen? And I sat there and didn't know what to say because I was like, oh, okay." But then I said, well, Christian, when do you cross the line? When do you know that, you know, you're smoking it habitually versus you're smoking it for the situations in which you are needing to smoke it. And I think that's a subject for everybody today. Yeah. Because, you know, now the pot is legal and you see it being used for everything and it's being justified and all of that kind of stuff. When do we cross the line? When does it become habitual and all those kinds of things? Yeah, you know, to that point, I think there's there's actually a, a part in the movie where you talk mm -hmm. about this particular issue and you had a, a great a great way to answer it in that moment I want to just play that clip real quick right now absolutely we think the gateway drugs alcohol and marijuana because they're legal they're all right but if you drink to go to sleep and you don't even remember when you passed out let's have a conversation because there's a fine line out there that most people don't even know they've crossed I always tell the women my story I used to smoke crack in the bathroom and so when I stopped getting high, and I and today if you go to my house, what's in the bathroom is my Bible. Because I had to put something in that place that was greater than what was used to be in that place. And so 29 years later, I didn't stop doing what I've done to recover. And that's what happens a lot of times. People stop doing what got them to this place. That was a powerful moment in the film that a lot of people point to as like something that they heard you know, for the first time as, as something that they can do. There's something they, way that they can think about it. Absolutely. You know? And so it's one of those things where if we live to use and use to live, and I remember in that same weekend you said, Mom, I've been home all weekend and I haven't smoked. It's not like I've done something, you know, I need it every day. 
it's it's specific. And so I would love for you to even say, even in today's world, because again, our lenses are different. You know, you are definitely considered a millennial mm-hmm. and your mother is real old school in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. we still laugh a lot. You know, by the way, my <laughs> son's a comic and we laugh a lot. And I'm sure I'm in a lot of his skits um, because of the way I, I come off. But it's, it's funny because I would love for you and, and for us to talk a little bit about, you know, addiction as we see it today. Like like you said, having a friend who overdosed, you know, and um, on heroin at 23, 24 years old. And then having friends, you know, that whole peer pressure and, and when is enough enough. As we said in the movie, you know, if you drink to uh, when you get up or you drink to go to bed or you smoke to function or you're smoking around the clock, if you live to use and use to live, then it's a problem. And mm-hmm. so where are you and what are your thoughts on that? Um, first, I'll say I, I agree with uh, the way you classify, I guess, start to define when it would, would become, quote unquote, too much. And I will say. It's like, you know how recovery or any your relationship with anything is. It's not like I say, like that time I was like, I hadn't smoked all week and blah, 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 blah. That could have been me BSing, you know? I'm, I'm being real right. with you, you know well, what I, I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's hard and it's, I, I don't look at everything as a drug, but we all look for things to stimulate us, to numb us, to make, you know, whether that's coffee, people, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, it's interesting think, you say that because we talk a lot about that in the training because you're right. We live in a society where so many things are addictive, so many things people use uh, as coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we talk about when we talk about all things recovery because we're all in recovery from yeah. something. And I think, you know, Christian, one of the things that, again, I'm most proud of is our open conversations that we can have. I love the fact that I can talk to you and Mary about anything. And prayerfully, I hope that you all feel the same way in terms of having candid conversations. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important, too, to be aware. And I say that to anybody, being aware of your behavior when you start using to live and living to use, meaning everything that I do is when am I going to be able to drink or when am I going to be able to drug, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. you got to be aware of that's a problem. Or I isolate from people because I don't want them to know that I'm using or I'm drinking or drugging. That's a problem. And so it's really when do I know that I've slipped off of that slippery slope and I'm now in the the grips of addiction versus, you know, this is recreational or this is for medical purposes. But when am I really in addiction? And it's such a fine line today that, that we've got to be careful where things being legal, you know, and and I can remember coming out to Portland to visit you and seeing marijuana happy hours. I was like, holy cow! It's a great town. Um, <laughs> well, I think the I think the biggest thing is to remove the stigmas from all these things, whether that's drugs, mental health, etc. It's because when people feel bad about like for so many years, I wouldn't even be willing to tell you I smoked. Because I didn't want to just get yelled at, you know what I mean? When it's a conversation that needs to be had, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying putting that on you or on me, but that's how I felt. And that's how I think a lot of teens would feel, you know, talking to their parents about something like that. When, um, going back to Parker, uh, my friend, when there's so many of us who have these issues, you know, whether these unresolved mental health issues, these unresolved whatever issues, peer issues, mm-hmm. uh, but it's hard to talk about because 
you know, the way we cope with them now makes us a criminal, now makes us, you want to get mad at me. When it's like, you're not looking at the root of the problem if you're saying, you know, this person's smoking, drinking, blah, 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 blah. You're not looking at, there's a stigma, and I think that is one of the biggest things that, I think for our relationship, that was great. Once I was like, I don't even care. I think that's why moving out was like, well, I can tell you anything, because what are you going to do, kick me out again? Like, I don't live here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it, it makes me sad to think, uh, like my friend who passed away, um, he. When I moved away, I was like, I don't know who he had to talk to like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when you have all these quote unquote demons, you want to isolate. You want to isolate so bad. And uh, yeah, I remember in his story, him saying that you know the demons in his head, the 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 crazies he called it in his head. And I think, too, that is where, and, and by the way, I remember telling someone who actually had a great position in uh, one of the Fortune 500 companies, I was sitting next to them, and I told them the story about our conversation when you revealed to me that you smoked marijuana, and, and I was shocked, and then we started talking about why and, you know, the things you use it for and why do you need to use it. And had that conversation with him, and by the end of that evening, he said, thank you. I said, for what? And he said, well, I'm going to go have a conversation with my daughter now because we all need to have those conversations. I think it's important, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about talking to Neil at the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, is we do need to have conversations in high school. We do need to have conversations with our children because a lot of times what I find more often than not is, to your point, Christian, is it does start with mental health. You know, when I have anxiety or peer pressure or I don't feel good about myself or I'm feeling or I'm experiencing or I'm going through things, where's my safe space? Where's my safe space that I can tell somebody what I'm thinking without being condemned? And I think that's important that we do that, create safe spaces with our children, with our loved ones, coworkers, whoever it is, so that they feel like I can say my truth and not be judged. And so, you know, so, that's important. So, Lucy, I, that's a good good segue as we kind of wrap up this first section of the of the podcast. You know, really, I want to take this moment to talk about, because I know in the book you go into it deeper mm-hmm. about, you know, how, how, to, how to have that conversation with your teen or even how to stage an intervention once once you've missed the boat and they've already started using to a to a level where they need help. But but how do you create that safe space? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm a parent at home listening right now or a teen at home listening right now that wants to start that conversation in their family, like how do you create that safe space to start the conversation at home? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, one, how well are you listening? And you know your child like I know my kids, mm-hmm. you know. And once I see a behavior change or I see something happening, You know, keeping it in the I statement and not the blame statement, because, again, like Christian said, we usually blame people. Mm. You are doing this and da-da-da-da-da. And like he said, the first time I realized he was doing something, it was like, get out, you know, versus, oh, my goodness, you're doing this. Why? Why are you doing this is the question. It should be more of a why and and listening for what that why is. So you know, when what he, do you need? You know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, why and what is it that you need or you're looking for in that thing? And so I think being able to have those conversations with our loved ones is important without blaming. So, 
You know, I always say to people, just ask the question. Most often than not, people want you to ask them what they're doing or how they're feeling or what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And then how well do we listen? Because a lot of times we're so we've got this preconceived. We need to take them straight to the psych psychiatric ward or we need to take them to treatment when, in fact, we just need to come alongside them and be their ally and be that person that you're my safe space and I can tell you my reality without feeling judged. And then let's figure it out together instead of me feeling isolated by myself. Everything doesn't have to end in tragedy, but if we don't talk about it, tragedy is at the end. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think people should be okay with, today in times, we've gotta be able to talk about it. And I think one of the things Christian said that is so, so important is the stigma. We've got to get rid of the stigmas across the board. You know, mental health, it is not people are crazy. I, say to, I said to the women at Mary Hall, we all got crazies in our head. It's what we do with them that makes the difference. You know, and I think it's important that we all realize we all struggle with something. You know, we all got hang-ups, habits, and, and, and what do we do with them? Because we don't have the support we need or the out we need to talk about it or the love around us to say, you know what, I can go through this and be okay. Awesome. Um, do, so before we wrap up this section, I know um, Mary has some technical difficulties getting in, but we'll, we'll hopefully get to uh, talk to her in a moment. Um, and but But to your point, you know, we have another special guest coming. Absolutely. Um, because I think some of your advice I actually took on in my life, the, the advice you just gave, and I want to talk about how that went. Okay. Um, but but before we do that, I just want to kind of wrap up with Christian and give some give some final thoughts from you, specifically um, about, because I had a question, mm -hmm. you know, um, for me growing up, I actually uh, had, had a parent that was, you know, um, not necessarily not in the recovery process yet, right? But I knew there was something going on, but I didn't know I didn't know how to call it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but all I, what it, what what it turned out for me was, you know, in my twenty ones and twenty twenty two, like that time period of my life, I was very like cautious and very scared to actually try anything. You know, I didn't want to smoke anything or drink anything or do these things because I was worried. Right. Mm -hmm. That 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 I, that maybe there's something with me that I couldn't take it, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that that I would fall. It would, it would hit me harder than someone else because mm -hmm. I had a parent. So I'm wondering for you, um, Christian, did, did, did those kind of thoughts enter your mind? Like what, what was your kind of thought internally about, you know, trying marijuana or drinking or things like that for the first times? Um, this is going to be not the answer mom wants to hear at all. But I, I think I had the opposite response of you of. You know, like I said, I was so, I went to a Christian school. I went to church uh, on the weekend when I wasn't in school. I knew my mom was in recovery. I was working at, I'd, you know, be at Mary Hall Freedom House, all the, you know. It was so, like, I was so isolated from it. You know what I mean? It didn't even seem like a real thing to me. So when I guess I had the opportunity to try, like I went off to college for the first time. 18 to 22, I did everything. And without really, you know, uh, worrying too much kind of because I knew we had a family history and I thought like, I don't know, I, I was always conscious of that and I still am, but I'm the type of hard-headed person that it's like, prove, prove it, you know what I mean? Um, and for better or for worse, that's was kind of my experience with it because, I don't know, someone tells you don't do something your whole life, what's the first thing you're gonna wanna do when you get outside the house, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's yeah, interesting. That's why no, it's interesting. And, and, and it's not, you know, you know, life is life, right? There's no, there's no, in hindsight, it's always going to be 2020, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what choices you make in the moment. But in the moment, it's interesting because there is that with a lot of young people where, where, um, you know, life happens and you, you've been eager to like curious about something. And so as soon as you have the freedom to do the thing you've been curious about, you do it. You know, but then also, you know, I don't know that it's wise for parents to like let their kids experiment necessarily. No, but you know, I would say it's it's kind of a thing of I didn't I didn't always feel trusted as a teenager, if that makes sense. And I don't know if that was your intention or not. But I think trust is so important in a relationship between a parent and a child. Um, And that's a hard thing to foster because a teenager's mostly are gonna want to, you know, be rebellious, and parents always know that, so they're gonna want to be a little like, "Where are you going? What are you doing?" And you know, you have to do that to an extent. You're protecting your child, Um, but when you don't feel like you're kind of trusted with your own agency, once you have that agency, you kind of want to like flex it. You know, your ability to do everything, your your ability to move across the country, et cetera. You know what I mean? Because you felt so stagnant for so long, whether that be like, yeah, I guess so stagnant. Like, I feel like the first 18 years of my life, I was just doing the same three things. <laughs> <laughs> church and 12-step yeah, meetings, 12 right? Steps. And Mary Hope Freedom House. That's interesting. And it's like, also, it's kind of uh, religiously why I kind of, you know, came away from religion for a little. It's like, I saw, you have to learn things on yourself. You have to have experiences that bring you to God. You have to have experiences that, you know, show you that you need, you know, to value your mental health and to not do things and to, you know, exercise, drink water, eat healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So people can tell you, it's like, hey, you love God, you know, don't do drugs your whole life. But it's like, I've never seen drugs do anything that bad, really, because I've been around, you know, a very sheltered situation. Um, So that's sorry. I'd say the biggest thing is fostering a sense of trust, because then I, I wouldn't say I would say I didn't trust you to an extent. You know what I mean? Well, you know, one of the things as we wrap up that I remember is once, you know, the first time I did tell you get out and you went off and <laughs> disappeared for like four or five weeks on me. And then when I picked you up and you told me and I said, you look good. And you said, well, what did you expect? I said, I don't know. You said, but I ra- but you raised me. And that was where I got a sense of relief from because it was. If I raised you, you're absolutely right. I raised you with the sense and the uh, the ability to make choices. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, back to tie it into what you and Ricardo both said, which is interesting. It's just family dynamics. I remember as a child of an alcoholic, my mom died of alcoholism. And there were those of us like Auntie Eloise who went right, who would not drink, would not drug, would not trust, touch anything. Like Ricardo said, she wouldn't even eat, you know, certain meats because her body is such a temple, you know what I mean? So I have the one sister who went to the right and then the rest, you know, me and Marsha who had to explore and, and become full-blown, you know, it was that. It was, and, and so I think, and then I think about Yvonne who said, you know what, I'll try it and it made me sick. So I'm I'm not doing that. And so Which you know, is the only rational response, I think. Right, yeah. She said it made me sick, so I'm not doing that. And I say that only because we all have our own DNA. Right. Even though we come from the same tree, it's interesting how we all and I and I always say this, no matter where you come in the picture at, we all have different experiences with our parents because of where our parents were when they had us. 
So to your point, you know, Mary always says in reverse, what happened to you? You had Christian and you let him do everything, whereas I was on a tight leash. Right, And right, here Christian right. saying, no, I was on a tight leash because you didn't trust me. Mary was probably... So it's always... Family dynamics are always different. But what yeah, it's is... It's a fluid situation. And you got to communicate. I think openness and communication is always going to be what's important because we all want community. We all want connection. And we all need to be loved. And communication is that way of demonstrating that. Wow. So on that note, um, we're going to, we're going to, yeah, don't tap out yet. Um, We, we, uh, we're going to uh, transition to our next, our next special guest. Absolutely. Uh, But we want to say thank you again to, to Christian for joining. And, uh, you know, we're we're actually going to be seeing, seeing you later. We we are going to be at the Pan-African Film Festival uh, on Wednesday. So tomorrow, if you're listening today, on uh, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, 4.15 p.m. at the Pan-African Film Festival, uh, screening Hope Village, uh, meeting up with folks, sharing about recovery. Um, so so that, that uh, go to the website, hopevillageproject.com, or follow us on IG to get the get any more information about where else you can see the film in Atlanta. It's, it's showing in Sugar Hill on the 22nd, um, and there'll be other screenings coming up, um, but we're going to be at the Cinemark Theater. Uh, uh, on, on Wednesday, tomorrow at 4.15 p.m., right there on, near the Crenshaw Plaza in Los Angeles. Um, so thank you again, Christian, and we're about to transition to our next special guest. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And if you want to come have us come and do the screening with you and your group, we'd love to do that, mm-hmm. along with we do something called All Things Recovery, and which is the language of recovery. And we'd love to come talk to you and your group about how to have conversation, how the language has changed. I'm not a recovering alcoholic. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And those two things have different meanings. And so we want to talk about All Things Recovery with you and yours. So as we go to our next guest, which I'm excited to have, we're going to keep talking to our family members and we're going to keep talking to those who love us and support us in this thing called recovery. Awesome. So before we go, I definitely want to give Mary the opportunity to chime in, who's been listening and has, I really want her to weigh into the conversation. So Mary, you heard me in Christian's conversation. I would love to hear your lens because as a family member, uh, what it, what was it like for you? What are your thoughts? And just let us know. Okay, so my perspective is a little bit different than Christian's because in your recovery, um, I was raised with my grandparents. So, and then when we finally did get together, I was uh, nine. Hope, yeah, and coping, right? So I grew up kind of with resentment, right? and trying to figure out how to make a spot for you kind of like in my life. And I think we went through like a lot of turmoil of me like pushing you away. I mean, we had some really good arguments. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I remember in one of the arguments that we had, you said to me, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like it was something like, I'm not going to apologize for my recovery. Mm -hmm. And after that, I knew I couldn't argue with you in that way again, you know, because I, in in living with my grandparents, I was still able to see people who didn't recover, right? I got to see what that looked like on the other end of the spectrum. So I think after that, the arguments were kind of different, but it was still trying to be able to figure out how to have a space for my mom in my life. Like, how do... I actually figure out 
what is my mom, you know, like, so that, that was kind of like my experience growing up. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, Mary. And, and it's always interesting because I do remember that conversation <laughs> and, and, and I do, well, I should say, I remember that fight and saying, I can't apologize for my recovery. I can't apologize for being sick. Cause again, you know, and that's one of the things parents spend a lot of time doing is trying to make up from guilt and make up from the things that they did to what they felt like they neglected their children from. So I appreciate your sharing that. And, and it's interesting, the things that you remember. But if we fast forward to today, I just want you to kind of say, you know, as a result of, because I, I tell people the story, your teenage daughter is the one who loves to hate you between the ages of 12 and 16, because that's <laughs> those were the periods of our rough days. But I also am very grateful to my parents, my dad and my mom, for raising Mary in my absence the first few years of my own recovery. But then when we were all reunified, she then had this brother, and she had to make room even in that in that situation for me, her, and Christian to have our dynamics. But today, um, tell us about what you think about the road of recovery or you came to view Hope Village. You you came to a film festival and you saw a part of your life in that story. So tell us today, tell us from, from a viewing standpoint what that meant for you or what your thoughts are around, you know, the movie, the book, and even being on this podcast. Okay. So I think I would still have to kind of go back a little bit because also being a part of your recovery, I was a part of Mary Hall Freedom House. Mm -hmm. So I was able to see all the stories and I was able to see the success stories. I was also able to be around the children of the women who, you know, were going through these things. And it was, it was a different perspective of hope. You know, it was a different perspective when you're immersed in it and you're feeling it and you're going through the roller coasters mm -hmm. of everything with everyone around you and it kind of makes you feel um uh I don't know like it 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 made me feel like I kind of can do anything you know like there's there's certain circumstances that people come from or there's certain things that people deal with that you know you you just can't you can't understand it. You can't connect with it. it. It doesn't make sense because you didn't go through it. But if you sit there and you just listen to those stories, or if you sit there and you just sit next to them and just feel that pain, and then you see what it turns into at the end of it, it's it's kind of beautiful. It's like a, the story of a butterfly. So mm. with seeing like the video, with seeing like Hope Village and all those things, it's like, it's just a small glimpse into what this is because like you said once you start recovering every day is recovery you know so it's i don't know if that answers your question but no it I does I, i'm chiming in this is ricardo <laughs> but i was just listening to you and your mother talk and i just had to say sh share your uh experience i shared this similar experience when i first met your mom and i came to mary hall freedom house for the first time being in the room full of the women and their stories and then hearing Lucy's story. There are certain stories we hear as human beings that inspire us. You know, for someone it might be a, a football story, right? Or it might be a political story or a medical miracle, right? Or, you know, there's all these things that we witness in life that are like, man, that that's inspiring, mm -hmm. right? Like just, just hearing that that's possible as in someone's life is inspiring. 
And I so I definitely agree with you and just uh, share the same sentiment that that the, that Mary Hall Freedom House and some of the stories that come through and the, the stories of recovery that you hear are just inspiring as a human being. One of the one of the uh, first critiques I got of the film, actually, I asked a friend of mine who had came to see the premiere at one of the first festivals we were in, um, like, how did you like the movie? And what she said was, um, you know, I don't I never had any experience with recovery or addiction or any of that stuff. But but Lucy's story was inspiring to me just as a woman. Mm. Um, And so I think that that's I think that's really what drew me to the whole project and drew drew me to telling these kind of stories, even prior to having the only, you know, the experiences I had in my family. But uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to say share that, that I share that same sentiment with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I do think it's important that we have conversations with our loved ones, our children or our parents or whomever. I think it's important we as family members share in the hope and we share in the love and we share in the journey because you just never know who might be hurting. And again, I think one of the things that my own recovery has afforded me with my children is the open conversation. I told Mary one time, Mary, get a therapist. I'm not your therapist because we had that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. There's not a day that goes by she doesn't call me to share her life story, and I love it, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, we all have a journey and a path. So I'm looking forward to talking to you and your brother and your dad. So let's have that conversation because that's excited as well. And that's what this is all about today. We are born into families and with loved ones, and we just need to openly share our experience, strength, and hope and love on one another. So let's do that. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Mary. I'm really excited about the next segment of the show and having the conversation with Ricardo, his brother Charles. I mean, his father Charles. No, it's the brother Charles and the father Carl. I'm excited to have this conversation with all three of my brothers uh, today because I remember, Ricardo, you calling me and saying, hey, you know, my dad is at almost at the end of his um, stay at Salvation Army, and you and your brother had some questions about how to handle a particular situation with your dad. And I said, you know what? You need to handle it by saying your truths. I think it's so important that we all share our truths. And no matter if it pinches a little bit, like Christian always says things that kind of pinch, as you just heard in the last segment. Christian <laughs> said a few things, and it was like, ouch, but that's his reality. And I've got to be able to embrace the fact that I love him enough to accept who he is and the way he is. And I remember having a conversation with you and your brother and said, whatever you do, tell Carl your truth, how you saw it, without blaming and Mm -hmm. keeping it in the I statements, everything you said. And so when your brother, you know, brother, when you shared your I statements, I said, that's exactly what I want you to do. Go in that session with him and tell him exactly what it was like through your lens, because that's important that we hear. So I want to hear how that session went and what happened. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely kind of share share how it all started, but I definitely, my dad, Carl, is in the, in the house, and I definitely want to hear his perspective, too, uh, because, you know, that was really the, the big concern for us was his experience and not having it be something that felt like not only an attack, but, like, how do we come together and not have you know, different concerns divided. So the situation, you know, was pretty much, uh, the situation was pretty much, um, you know, my father is currently at Salvation Army, as I shared before, um, in, in, the, in a recovery program there. 
and 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 my brother and I had some concerns about just the next transition, mm -hmm. you know, getting a car again, getting in permanent housing, getting all these kind of you know all the trappings of life where where you know there's a lot of freedom and a lot of opportunity to 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 have you know setbacks, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know, as as my brother Charles and I were talking, um, you know, we kind of had some concerns, and so. I'll, I'll start with my brother Charles. Actually, Charles, you can just share kind of how that conversation went and 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 what we what what it was, uh, what was your experience when we actually sat down with the counselor. But to set the scene for the audience, like essentially, you know, we me and my brother did go to um, speak with his counselor, Good. and and him all at the same time. All four of us sat down um, to to try to share our concerns. And, uh, and so Charles can kind of get us started on how it went. Um, go ahead, Charles. Um, so what's up, everybody? Hey, uh, you know, uh, hey, how's it going? Shout out to you guys doing this podcast. And uh, I like how everything looks. And uh, it's pretty cool. I need to call it. <laughs> I probably need to do more Zoom interviews. Uh, so, My brother um, has a podcast too, so he's he's actually yeah, having some podcast envy I'm, right now. I think. Okay, go <laughs> for it, brother. It's, it's okay. Good, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm in um, I'm in actually I'm actually in in, uh, in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, right now, and I'm I'm like we're like so we yeah, it's it's uh, Valentine's Day weekend, so we went out of town and, and hung out and everything. So for you, it's pretty yeah. So but it's it's good to be able to do something like on location. So I, I like how, <laughs> I like that uh side that side of it. Um, when it comes to uh the conversation, I think it was the big the big things was the eye. Uh, you know that was a really important. Even um even the counselor. That was there. I forget what's her. Uh, I forget her name. Myra. Uh, Myra. She did a good job of just pointing out too when she said, "I did go into the I statement." And um, and what would you kind of give us a recap though? What were some of the I statements that you made? Um, and then and then because what I want to do is I want to hear from your I statements and then have have uh, my dad have our dad kind of tell us how that landed for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, my thing is, is what I would say is, is, uh, how do I want to start? Oh, well, so my being there helped take what I said and, and broke it down to, to kind of be a mediator. So that was great. The other part is, is, yeah, I mean, I was telling him uh, about, you know, I had a lot of big concerns about where we, where we, we, the biggest thing I would say is we fought as a family, uh, really hard to get um, where we are today as far as like in a facility, in a recovery treatment program that's, that's you know, and, and, uh, and, and leading into a right direction. My biggest thing, my biggest fears, I, I told him I basically I loved, I liked um, him not having a car because that made us know where he was at all times pretty much or where he was going where he was coming from and that helps because um you know it's very concerning it's just lose your you lose a peace of mind when you're dealing with a, a family member that's you don't know where they are if they in jail out of jail where they supposed to be not where supposed to be you're taking the medication not taking the medication uh so that was always just like a big concern and so having not having a car is is it helps us to eliminate that even that stress factor 
then also just how far, how hard and how long it takes because when you're dealing with like a family member with a, um, you know, mental health problem slash, uh, you know, recovery addiction problem, that, that, um, that's in recovery, you know, it's a situation where basically you go through the criminal justice system just to get them into a program and then make them stay at that program. And so we've done, basically we did so much of the hard work that we have to, we didn't want to just uh, get into a situation where we could, anybody could be, uh, where he could be, you know, compromised or go back and, and to any steps back would basically lead to, to prison. So my, my thing was is like, all right, we can allow ourselves to just get um, caught up into the success of what's going on right now because the reality is is that there is currently, you know, my dad is definitely doing a good program at the Salvation Army, but there's also court, he's also court ordered and also, you know, has jail hanging over his head essentially. So that's also what we know that, you know, nobody wants to be locked up. So that's keeping him on a straight and narrow, but we also want to make sure that he's transitions from this place into a sober living place so that he has um, additional help and additional ecosystem and support system around him. So that way somebody is monitoring meds. He has a social worker, some uh, a caseworker. That way there's things that is in life that he needs help and assistance with. Somebody's there to help him. And that is sober living. So you can't just come in and out as you please without and, and also not, you know, uh, re, you know, reusing or anything like that. So those things is the way we want him to transition. And so we just, our biggest concern was how to make sure that we ensure ourselves that once he does complete this program, he's back, he's also transitions into a, a, a facility that's supporting the same things that he's up to now. Yeah, and I, so I think I hear what Charles is saying. I mean, essentially we were there saying we want to protect the progress. Mm-hmm. We want to progress the progress that we've all made. We all have invested time. We all have invested energy into getting to where we are today. And so we all want to figure out whatever we can do next we all take that step forward together. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of what was presented to my father, Carl. So, Daddy, I wanted you to kind of share, like, sitting at that table, hearing us say it. I know at first it may it may not have come across, but I think at some point we transitioned and it, and it started to turn into a positive turn. So just kind of share with me, uh, share with us, kind of how that, ex- how that conversation was for you. Well, how you guys doing? My name is Carl. Anyway, um... Charles voiced his concerns. He was extremely concerned, but we had had a conversation the week before where he got a lot of stuff off his chest. And I'm speaking in the eye. I can't speak for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is me talking, and maybe you can give me feedback on it since you're the expert. I'm the amateur. But amateur means for the love of it. It doesn't actually mean that you're not good at it. You better believe it. (laughs) Okay. So anyway... Uh, I explained to Charles that, you know, the last five years of my life I have fell off. And, and you know, I'm willing to admit that. Uh, and uh, according to the so-called experts, I was a functional alcoholic, but I don't believe in that either. I was just an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I covered it up better than other people. Okay, mm-hmm. so... 
you know, I never was on the street or anything, but I was on, I was sharing with um, Lucy, I was on the street in my living room, mm -hmm. sitting on a nice recliner, you know, where I just wasn't in front of the liquor store, but I was in front of the TV with a remote, but I still had a drink. That's the same thing that me and the alcoholics had in common. And also explain to Charles, you know, you could set up all the parameters in front of me and tell me I can't do this and I can't do that. And, uh, and I firmly believe, you know, God, I was raised in the church, all of that. And God talked to me every day and I talked to God every day. And God tells me, don't do this and don't do that. You know, do the right thing and stay on the right path. But it still comes down to me, am I going to do that or not? Am I going to listen to God? So regardless of what's hanging over my head, uh, regardless of uh, me being in the program, it's up to me. It's, it comes down, am I going to listen to God? Am I going to get on the boat? Am I going to get on the life raft that's standing next to, to, to the Titanic? It's up to me to swim to the boat, mm -hmm. and I know how to swim. I'm an Olympic swimmer. And I only had to swim five feet to get to the to get to the life raft, and it's five and it's five spaces left. Yeah. And so, I, what what I was trying to say in short was, is that my understanding is what I asked for as long as I write them down, mm -hmm. that those things will happen. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to convey to my two sons this. this well, actually, and my two daughters, is that all I can do is apologize for what I've done wrong mm -hmm. and where I've fallen off. Alcohol is a sickness. No, from, I... from what I hold on, from what I understand, uh, and I'm working on it, and I've. In the last five years, I've had three years of sobriety, then I relapsed and all that type of thing. But now I got like seven months sobriety. Part of it is the program, but it's so true when they say one day at a time because it's actually not one day at a time. It's like every five minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's like... I mean, I go get a pack of cigarettes, whether it's 7-Eleven or at the liquor store, I know it's the bottle in there. Mm -hmm. I could watch a football game. I know it's a bottle in there. They got to, I mean, you just even think about it. You could walk down the road and see a bottle on the side. When I go get my coffee in the morning, they give it with styrofoam cups. I said, "Man, I used to drink out of styrofoam cups." You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think I want to. So. I want you to talk about something real quick, Ricardo, because I think you know the thing your dad said today that was very interesting. The conversation we were having earlier, and I just heard it again, and I hear that for a lot of people who are in recovery. What happens is one, you keep saying my sobriety. We got to transition from sobriety is just me not using to recovery, meaning that recovery means a lifestyle. Sobriety means I've just hooked up the bottle or hooked up the dope or hooked up whatever just for now. That keeps you out here because I'm still just cleaning up. Sobriety is cleaning up. 
Recovery is a commitment to a new lifestyle. So that's the one thing. When am I going to transition? Because even my mindset, even what I say makes a difference to what I am. So that's one thing, the language. And that's a big thing about the book and the movie is the new language. I totally agree. Yep. And I say it every day uh, during my um, morning greeting um, when we go through, uh, you know, what we're grateful for, that I'm sober and I'm working on recovery. There you go. And I do feel the spiritual aspect of it more so now than before I was what they call a um, dry drunk. Mm -hmm. But... I work on, I'm working towards recovery, and it was something that you brought up. Well, what are you replacing it with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now I even see that aspect of it. But uh, staying abstinent for me is paramount. Then working towards recovery is the other part mm -hmm. but you do bring your family in to you know they they've told me you know I'm a veteran and I've been through stuff I've been through quite mm -hmm. a bit of things that um, was brought up last week as a matter mm -hmm. of fact and then um, I used to be a probation officer I had like 30 homicides in two weeks no two two or two years excuse me and he said that did have an effect on me because I'm all that's being. trauma. That's yeah, right. right. All yeah. that's trauma. I want to I want to yeah. just share something real quick. So yeah. so so essentially, Lucy, we, we, we had the conversation. Yes. Go ahead. And the result of the conversation was that we would create a plan together and we actually listed the folks that we all agreed would need to approve the plan before. We worked on the next phase uh, before we got the next privilege or the next thing that, you know, um, in this scenario, the, the thing, the item is a car, right? Like getting a car and getting that set up. Um, and so and so that was that was the, the detail that kind of had us all shake hands and high five awesome. and, 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 and agree that, OK, now we're on the same page that we know we're going to move forward. And I think that's. To me, it was a good moment, and it's a good example for, for anyone out there listening, is that, you know, a lot of times we get stuck in a place where it's like, um, you know, we can't move forward together because not everybody's on the same page or there's resentment still or, or all these different kind of, you know, uh, thoughts that come in our mind. And so just that huddling up really helped. And the, and the thing that I remember the most is the the counselor shared that she, I don't know how long Myra's been working there, but but that no she's never had family come in for a session like this. There you go. And so a lot of times she said, "There's you know they have that's one of the large facilities that uh, that they mm -hmm. have in the in, in this in this um, hemisphere in L.A. Uh, Five hundred men, mm -hmm. and and no one no one family member has come and sat down. Mm. Some of them don't have family. Mm -hmm. True, right? Some of them have." burn too many bridges. Um, and, and, but she says family that even does come that still connects with the family, they just pick them up, you know, for the weekend visit, drop them off, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that the hard part, that that uh, the important thing to learn that I think is a lesson out of this is that you can actually progress faster 
and more sustainably when you do it together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's important. A couple of things I, I heard both from dad as well as you guys is one, you know, a lot of times we do get frozen in fear mm. and we don't tell our truths. I think it's imperative that we all tell our truths because of love, not be fear and paralyzed because we're afraid of what the past has done. You know, I got to look forward and believe. And, and if I'm in your rooting section, my, my rooting for you means that I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I think to your point, we all need to feel connected. We all need to feel a part of community. And, and really, you know, whether it's at the Salvation Army, Mary Hall Freedom House, wherever you are. Whatever Hope to, Village. Yeah, <laughs> whatever Hope Village or whatever road you on to recovery, you're never going to do it by yourself. We all need the same things. We've got to be connected. We've got to be accountable. We've got to have community because that's what we were created to do. We, don't, we were not created to live in isolation. We're created to live in community. Yes, sir. And... Uh, Something else I wanted to share with you is uh, we were speaking when we were eating breakfast mm -hmm. earlier. And that was a nice breakfast. <laughs> anyway, my uncle, uh, Imam Abdullah Lane Musa, was part of when I uh, stopped in November, no, excuse me, August 3rd, 1985 using um, powder cocaine. I was a so-called recreational user, and I say so-called, you know, payday, whatever, during the 80s. This just before they started with um, the crack scene came mm -hmm. out. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I want to stop this. And I'm saying this, I want you guys to hear this. So he had me running, lifting weights, and praying five times a day, which is similar mm -hmm. to the AA program. And I can remember one day I'm at the top of the hill of Oakland Hills, and I felt this type of euphoria. And I felt like that movie Rocky when he at the top mm -hmm. of the stairs. And I said, man, this feels good. Mm -hmm. Now at that time I didn't know that that was what they call endorphins and mm -hmm. endogenous mm -hmm. and all that. I didn't know that. I didn't have any clue, clue of what that was. I didn't know. I knew I was legally high. And No, that's make, called natural high. But it was... I yeah, got you. Nat, natural nat, high. Nat, I was natural on a natural high. high. I was on a natural high. <laughs> and I could honestly say, look anybody in the yeah, face and tell you, I never used that since August 3rd, 85. I just wish that I had known the same thing with alcohol, but, you know, I was just, I, I didn't know. Right, right. And that goes, I'm going I'm to wrap it up with this, yeah. but that really goes back to the whole piece of me saying there's a difference between sobriety and recovery. Recovery is putting something new in. Like you said, when you first stopped doing powder cocaine, you put exercise and self-care and prayer in its place. I said the same thing to you today. Now that alcohol's out, what have you put in its place? And you said nothing. I said, that that's exactly it. If nothing is there, then your disease is coming back stronger to take you back out. So now we got to start working on your next, your recovery. So that's a wonderful place to wrap up. Yeah, that's what we got to do next. So we're going to wrap it up here. Um, please go to the website. 
check out um, HopeVillageProject.com um, and uh, and get get yourself a book, get yourself a movie, and try to try to link up with us so you can keep the conversation going. And tune in next week for the Hope Village Podcast. Looking forward to it. Thanks right, for joining us. Bye. Right, thanks for having us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.